following is a presentation of the Church of the Living God in Traverse City, Michigan. So thanks to Carl last week for talking to us about the Old Testament. Hang on just a second. That's for you, Jules, uh, but I'll give it to you when you come up later. Uh, thanks to Carl for talking about the Old Testament, and it feels appropriate because this morning I'm going to go into a couple stories from the Old Testament as we talk more about the New Testament. And our passage today is from 2 Timothy. It's going to begin in chapter 4, verse 1. So if you've got your Bibles, you can join me there. Otherwise, it will be up on the screen. So once again, this is Paul as a mentor writing to Timothy, a young pastor. He's just giving him advice about... Uh, how to develop the life of his church and the people in his church and how to take care of them. And the passage I read this morning, in some ways it might sound like we read this before, and that's because Paul keeps coming back to a similar theme over and over and over again. So chapter 4, verse 1. And now I bring you this charge before God and Jesus the anointed, the one destined to judge the living and the dead, at his glorious appearance and his kingdom. Go out and preach the word. Go in season and out of season, whether it's an opportune time or not. If you're wondering what that season language is all about, it literally just means just go preach. There's never a time you shouldn't preach. Like, if you want to go literal seasons, that's summer, winter, fall, spring. It's when people want to hear it, when people don't want to hear it. it just preach the word all the time. It's always an opportune time. Reprove, warn, and encourage We'll come back to that at the end. But do so with all the patience and instruction needed to fulfill your calling. Because a time will come when some will no longer tolerate sound teaching. I don't know if you remember before Christmas, but before we got into the Advent series, we talked a couple weeks about the dilemma with false teachers that were in that community. Paul's coming back to this again. A time will come when some will no longer tolerate sound teaching. Instead, they will live by their own desires. They'll scratch their itching ears by surrounding themselves with teachers who approve of their lifestyles and tell them what they want to hear. Don't get too hung up on the imagery. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had an issue where your ear actually itches. Don't need to raise your hand. I have had that at times, and it is so annoying. Like you're pushing on the side, and it's constantly like, I need this to feel better. So the image is just this idea that there will, there will be the kind of people in the church who they want to hear something that will make them feel good or alleviate some kind of uncomfortable situation they're feeling. That's the idea of itching ears. They're not going to pursue truth. They're going to pursue something that feels good to them. When that happens, verse 4, they will turn away from the real truth you have to offer because they prefer the sound of fables and myths. But you, Timothy, you must stay focused and alert at all times. Tolerate suffering. Accomplish the good work of an evangelist. And complete the ministry to which you've been called. All right. We're going to talk about itching ears this morning. And what they want to hear. Here's the bottom line. Itching ears simply want to hear what they want to hear. That's a profound phrase. Very easy to write. They want to hear what they want to hear. They want messages from God that are going to affirm something about their own desires or approve something about their own lifestyles. They're not looking for something that's going to challenge them 
and, and ask them to surrender something about their lives to the revelation of Christ. The Bible uses the image that the Bible is, yeah, the Bible uses the image that the Bible is almost like a sword that is meant to divide you, that is meant to lay you open so that you can let the Bible do its work. So people with itching ears, they're not interested in that coming from the Bible. They're interesting in the Bible, just kind of soothing them and helping them feel good. Now, does the Bible offer a message that brings comfort and hope, etc.? Absolutely. It's not saying the Word of God doesn't do that. What he's talking about is the kind of person who simply doesn't want to hear the hard teachings of Scripture because the hard teachings of Scripture will make them uncomfortable. So those with itching ears, they prefer lies that make them feel good to truths that make them uncomfortable. And when that happens, then God becomes a God who's not meant to undo us and then rebuild us. God doesn't become a God who unsettles us and examines the thoughts and intents of our hearts before renewing them. God becomes this, this being that we simply want to make us feel good about ourselves. I'm going to use a story from the Old Testament to illustrate this. It's a story that I think Timothy would have been well aware with, aware of. And as Paul is using this imagery, understand that his original audience, especially guys like Timothy, they would have been well-versed in the Old Testament. They would have known all of these stories. And so this particular story kept popping up in the commentaries as an example that was likely known by Paul's audience as an example of itching ears. And this is found in 1 Kings chapter 22. I'll warn you ahead of time as I read through this, there's what's called a throne room scene or a council of the heavens scene where Micah the prophet is going to be talking about kind of a vision that God gave him. We could probably do an entire series of sermons on how you understand these kinds of scenes in the Old Testament. Just understand it's unusual. I get it. It's also not the point of the sermon this morning, so we're just going to have to keep moving past it. All right, 1 Kings chapter 22. For three years... There was no war between Aram and Israel. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went down to see the king of Israel. The king of Israel had said to his officials, Don't you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us, and yet we're doing nothing to retake it from the king of Aram? So he asked Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight against Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, but first seek the counsel of the Lord. So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, about 400 men. Note, these are prophets from Israel, prophets from within God's people. He didn't bring prophets from Babylon or somewhere else. These are God's people. He brings the prophets together, about 400, and asked them, shall I go to war with Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asks, is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? I mean, that's kind of pointed. Like, there's 400. And they give their message, and Jehoshaphat is like, yeah, not you. Is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here we can inquire of? And the king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, well, there's still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord. Okay, note, the king knows that these 400 aren't legit. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, you're right, there's one. But I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He's Micah, son of Imla. 
The king should not say such a thing, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Bring Micah, son of Imlah, at once. So dressed in the royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria with all the prophets prophesying before them. I mean, honestly, that's not going to go well. We've already established these 400 prophets aren't actually speaking for God, but nonetheless, uh, they keep going. Now Zedekiah, son of another guy, had made iron horse and uh, he declared, this is what the Lord says. With these you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed. All the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, they said. The Lord will give it to the king's hand. So it wasn't just a prophecy. I mean, they're coming up with all the symbols. They're explaining to the king how this is going to work. The messenger who had gone to summon Micah said to him, Look, the other prophets, without exception, are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. But Micah said, As surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what the Lord tells me. When he arrived, the king asked him, Micah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or not? Attack and be victorious, he answered. The Lord will give it into the king's hand. He's just kind of copying the other 400 prophets. And the king said to him, How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? You get the impression they had a history. And now I'm reading something in here, but the idea is Micah shows up and he's like, yeah, what what your guys said, why don't you just go with that? And the king's like, because I know they're not right. You got to speak truth to me. So Micah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? And Micah continued, he wasn't done yet. Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and another that. And finally a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, son of that guy, went up and slapped Micah in the face. Which way did the spirit from the Lord go when he went for me to speak to you, he asked. Micah replied, you'll find out on the day you go to hide in the inner room. Uh, okay, so once again, I feel like we, we could do a whole sermon on this passage, but basically Zedekiah is ticked. Like, uh, are you saying the Spirit of God left me and went to you? When did that happen? And Micah's like, yeah, you'll find out when you're groveling in fear. The king of Israel then ordered, take Micah, send him back to Ammon, the ruler of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, this is what the king says, put this fellow in prison. And give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. And Micah declared, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. There's more to the story, but he does not return safely. The Lord had indeed spoken through Micah and not the 400. And what stands out to me, among other things in this passage, is when the king says, didn't I tell you he never prophesies anything good about me, only bad, so put him in prison. Okay, so that's itching ears. That's the idea. 
He did not want a truthful message, and he didn't want a truthful messenger because it didn't suit his desires. He wanted to go to war. He wanted to go do this thing. And he had hundreds of people around him who gave him what he wanted to hear. And Micah shows up and says, sorry, that's not it. That is not it. And the king's response isn't to go, thank God that someone has brought me truth. The king's response is to go, why don't you put him in a dungeon? And it didn't matter because what Micah spoke was truth. So scripture warns us over and over again about both false prophets and false teachers. Earlier in Timothy, Paul is talking to Timothy about false teachers. And the idea is that they draw crowds by telling people what they want to hear, not representing what God has to say accurately, but they know that if they can, we use the phrase tickle the ears maybe, we know that if they can tickle the ears of the audience, the audience will grow and the audience will love them. And sometimes, how do I phrase this properly? This is not to suggest once again that the Bible does not give good news in the deepest sense of the word. But the good news of the Bible comes with the context of why the news is good, right? We're sinners in need of salvation. There's these things in our life. We have to let the Bible expose it. It has to be part of what we understand about ourselves. And what will happen is the audience begins to think that because something sounds good, it must be good and it must be true. And like I noted, sometimes things that feel really good for us to hear are indeed true. But they aren't true because they make us feel that way. They'll just be that, they'll either be true and good because they're true and good no matter how we feel about it. And sometimes our spirit responds properly and sometimes it doesn't. So things will be true that's based on something that's not based on our feelings. So uh, if someone says, Anthony, you're a fashion icon in northern Michigan, that feels really good to hear. Right? Come on. Uh, and I can tell Gary's going to tell me that after this is over. Uh, and so it might make me feel good, but I know it's not true. I mean, I, we all do. But I for sure know that this is not true. And so even if you would tell me this, uh, if I would actually begin to believe it, that even becomes more problematic because now I start to present myself in a way that's clearly false. Like, do you guys want to know where I went shopping for this? Right? So it's not just that it could distort my view. In a worst-case scenario, in really serious things that have moral issues at stake, that's going to ripple out in a way that is destructive to the community as well. So what are we drawn to if we're not drawn to truth? Well, Paul calls it fables and myths. Really, I think our word today would be stuff and nonsense, like just crazy stuff. Bible Hub phrases it this way. Those who reject the truth are abandoned by the just judgment of God to give credit to the most degrading nonsense. Almost as if God says, you don't want truth? Okay. I'll let you move into that in ways you didn't anticipate. A guy named Vincent, Vincent's Word Studies, says, in periods of unsettled faith, skepticism, and mere curious speculation in matters of religion, teachers of all kinds swarm like the flies in Egypt. The demand creates the supply. The hearers invite and shape their own preachers. If the people desire a calf to worship, a ministerial calf maker is readily found. 
So when the Bible talks about prophets, there's a lot of overlap with what it says also about teachers and preachers. And here's one of the reasons. When you see how prophets operated the Bible, close to 90% of the time, they're doing something called forthtelling. That simply means they're looking at what God has said and they're proclaiming it boldly. About 10% of the time in the Bible, they're foretelling. That is, they're pointing to something in the future. So I think that's why when we see warnings about false teachers and false preachers and false prophets, they all sound fairly similar because the vast majority of what they're all doing is taking God's word and representing God's word. But they're speaking in a way that says, I am going to tell you what God has to say. Now, when I get up here and preach, when I read to you directly from Scripture, I'm telling you what God has to say. The minute I'm stepping away from that, I'm giving my commentary on what God has to say. I pray that God inspires it to be truthful to the text and that the Holy Spirit works in me so that I am a diligent servant who rightly divides the word of truth, right? But what Anthony has to say is different from when Anthony reads the Bible. It's two different standards. And so this warning about prophets and preachers and teachers, all of them, they involve two things. If we go back again to before we got into the Advent series, we did, I think, maybe two sermons on the lifestyles of false teachers. So part of it is false teachers lead false lives. And uh, we talked about some stories in the news that had taken place this last year in which the lifestyles of people representing God... um, uh, it didn't represent the heart of God, right? So that, w- that was part of it. The second thing they talk about is false teaching, and this just comes up again and again, the misrepresentation of what God has to say. And it, it's a sobering thing when people give formative weight in their lives to false teachers, preachers, prophets. And I think it's a, a terrible thing and a tragic thing when actually what's happening is that the people desire a calf to worship and they find calf makers because they're readily available. So Paul tells the early church, he says, don't despise genuine prophecies any more than you would despise genuine teaching. Like when God is speaking, you've got to listen to what God has to say. These things are gifts for our good and gifts for God's glory. But then he gives standards to protect that gift. So we had talked about teachers early in 1 Timothy, and now we're looking at this speaking prophetically, and that is, here's the standard. If a prophet claims to speak for God, and either what they foretell, that is proclaim, or what they foretell, that is predict, doesn't come true or doesn't align with Scripture, they're not, in fact, speaking for God. And the dilemma that comes with that is that it will be corrosive to our faith if we misunderstand it. I'm going to give you a number of passages from the Old Testament because I want the Bible to speak on this issue and not Anthony. So we're just going to walk through a few. Deuteronomy 18.22. If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously, so don't be alarmed. Jeremiah 14.14. The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I didn't send them, order them, or speak to them. They're prophesying false visions to you, worthless divinations, the delusions of their own minds. This last one will be a longer section from Ezekiel 13. Their visions are false, or I'm sorry, yeah. Their visions are false and their divinations a lie. 
Even though the Lord has not sent them, they say the Lord declares and expect him to fulfill their words. Have you not seen false visions and uttered lying divinations when you say the Lord declares, though I have not spoken? My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations because they lead my people astray, saying peace when there is no peace. So I will pour out my wrath against the wall and against those prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the sovereign Lord. And now, son of man, he's speaking to Ezekiel, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own imaginations. Prophesy against them and say, you have profaned me among my people. And by lying to my people who listen to lies, you have killed those who should not have died and have spared those who should not have lived. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will set free the people that you ensnare. I will save my people from your hands. They will no longer fall prey to your power. I will save my people from your hands. Notice that's not the hands of enemies outside of Israel. He's saying, I will save my people from this falseness, and then you will know that I am the Lord. So before Christmas, once again, we spent time talking about how do you identify true versus false teachers because the health of our souls are on the line. So I can't stress enough how important it is that we do that with teachers, preachers, prophets, pastors. I mean, anyone who is claiming to get up and represent something about God, it is crucial that we separate truth from falsity. So I don't think it matters how much what someone has to say pleases us. If they say something that is demonstrably false, that is, is, does not line up with Scripture, or they're predicting something that does not come true, they are saying things that are false. I'm not saying they intend to. And I am not saying that they're not sincere in their attempt to hear from God. I'm not saying those things at all. Uh, They can be the most sincere people. I'm just saying, if what they say is demonstrably wrong, then what they have said is demonstrably false. 2 Peter 1, verse 21 says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of men. That should be no true prophecy, right? That's what he's implying. No true prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And if we are carried along by the Holy Spirit and we speak something on behalf of God, it is going to be true. And that is going to align with Scripture, or if it's something predictive, it will come to pass. And if these criteria are not met, according to Paul, I have no conclusion to reach other than that it did not come from God's will, but came from theirs in some fashion. So I'm not referring to statements like, um, I have a sense that God might be planning to do this, or I think God has given me some wisdom and history. I've had lots of people come up to me in the course of my life here at CLG and just say, uh, it has been impressed upon me to offer this into your life. And it has, most of the time, been incredibly meaningful, right? I'm not, I'm not talking about that because I think there's a proper humility there. Like, man, I really believe God is impressing something that's important. Maybe it's sharing a scripture that is going to be pertinent to your life, or I just feel the Holy Spirit is telling me I need to offer some words of encouragement or advice or admonition, you name it. Right? There's a proper humility there in which we, we recognize, man, I am trying to represent God's will, but it's messy on this side of heaven. <laughs> this, could be, this could be dicey. 
Because I believe the Holy Spirit inspires us with biblically grounded insights into confusing times. And when people share it with good humility, there's room for freedom and grace. Paul says once again, don't despise the legitimate speaking of a prophetic word. But I am referring to statements like this. If someone says, I have a specific word from God about something that's going to happen, and that specific thing does not happen, we can't let that slide. That has to be faced. Because then it's people who are speaking according to their own will, not God's, but they're representing as if it's God. And I I know Christians have had vigorous debate about whether or not we see the gifts as work in progress, just like we're work in progress. I understand that debate. That is not the point of my sermon. I think no matter where we land, we can land on this. If someone says that God has placed divinely inspired words in their mouth in such a way that they are teaching prophetically in that moment as a direct mouthpiece for something God has to say, the bar is really, really high because God does not speak untruth. So could I just ask you, As a pastor, at minimum, please don't give your spiritual formation over to someone who has a history of prophesying or teaching or preaching falsely. That includes me, by the way. If you, I've said this before. If you feel like you need to confront me because you don't think I'm being honest to the Word of God, you need to do that. You need to do that. I am not yet in my glorified state. Right? Um, I really hope that if you're coming to this church that amongst the leadership, and there's more leadership here than me, obviously, but I hope that you have a confidence that there's an accurate representation of the Word of God to His people. If you don't, please come talk to us. We need to find out if we're missing something. Did I say that honestly and directly enough? I I hope you understand this. It is a big deal to me that we rightly divide the Word of Truth. And I say that because the health of your soul depends upon it. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they're from God, for many false prophets have gone into the world. Matthew 24, 24. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So I tell you the health of your soul is at stake. Now, and I offer something to you if you would like to further pursue this. On the back, on the front table, back, I'm used to the gym, where you picked up sermon notes, behind those sermon notes are another set of notes. And that other set of notes explores fairly in depth something that's happened in the last year fairly publicly in American life. And that is, there's been a lot of prophecies about the coronavirus, the election, etc., that just weren't true. I want us to wrestle with that. And if you would like to explore more, I'm not going to name names on the Facebook live stream. But you can see who it was. I have it all back there if you'd like that information. If you're on the live stream and you'd like it, contact me through Facebook or email, and I'll email something to you. But there's another part to it. A number of those people have very publicly owned that they were false and they have apologized and they have repented and they have committed to, to going back into discipleship to figure out, whoa, like I said I spoke for God and it's clear to me that I didn't. What went wrong? And so I have included those things as well because that's the kind of thing that really gives me hope that there is a 
It's a winnowing happening in the body of Christ as we're pushing into truth and we're pushing into God. So if you would like to get them, they're back there. You don't have to. Um, And if we run out of copies or you need them in some other way, contact me. And then if you want to talk with me about what's in that, I'd love to talk with you more about it. Um, Yeah, okay. That's all I'm going to say about that. Now I want to offer the solution. How do we avoid the trap of growing our own pair of itching ears? Uh, And by the way, Julie and Becky, I'm in my last couple paragraphs here, so. I would say it by doing this, allowing the written word of God's eternal authoritative truth to reprove and warn and encourage us. So let's really quickly look at these three words. Reprove simply means it's going to expose something in us and it's going to convince us that what was exposed was serious and needs confession. One thing I like about this reprove, reward, encourage, we've been spending the whole month talking about repentance. And Julie's going to lead us through some stuff with repentance this morning once again. I keep seeing this, maybe because I'm looking for it now. It's coming up over and over in Scripture. What is the solution? It's going to be repentance. So this is the first thing. Paul says here in this passage, it will reprove us. It, it will cut us. It will undo us is one of the things that Scripture will do. The second thing is it will warn. That's a prevention. That's like when my kids were little, I'm like, don't go out on the road. That's a warning. Now they made it there, I'm going to reprove them, <laughs> right? But if, if they could hear the warning, the reproof doesn't have to come. So this, this is, we're, we're kind of actually stepping it down. Paul says, first thing is, uh, it'll reprove you. If you're out of line, scripture, scripture will tell you. Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. But, but actually, let's back it up a step. It'll warn you ahead of time. It'll let you see what those things are that ought not to be happening in the life of a child of God. And then let's even go back further. And also, by the way, it encourages you. It'll comfort you. Literally, the, the idea of this word is it's up close and personal. Just like if I'm going to talk with Tom and I need to comfort Tom about something, it goes a lot better if I'm right there with Tom, up close and personal. That is what Scripture is intended to do, up close and personal. Encourage us, comfort us, build us up. Adam Clark says, the truth strips people of their vices, sacrifices their idols, darts its lightnings against their easily besetting sins, and absolutely requires a conformity to a crucified Christ. Therefore, they turn their ears away from all these things that make them itch. So if you were to ask me what's better than itching ears, I would say just about anything, but humble and open ears are the biblical solution. God's word will then do two things. It will first undo us, and then it will remake us. Both of those things have to happen together. This has been a presentation of the Church of the Living God. For more information, please visit us at clgonline.org.